Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. This is Channel Africa from an African Perspective, broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find us on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Magesi and I'm in studio with Chwanani Tula as well as Nosi Shezuma. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Nigerians living in Kenya held protests at the Nigerian High Commission offices, condemning last night's shooting of protesters in Lagos. Zimbabwe's second largest city, Bulawayo, is battling a diarrhea outbreak. And authorities in Cameroon say there are more than 120,000 illegal firearms in the country fueling a separatist conflict. Right now, though, it's time for us to cross on over to the news desk. Here is Jolani Tulo with your latest news bulletin. Thank you, Samora. Good afternoon. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari has appealed for calm a day after the shooting of protesters. He made no direct mention of Tuesday's violence in Lagos, during which witnesses and human rights groups said troops opened fire on hundreds of demonstrators, killing a number of them. The army has denied involvement. The UN has condemned the escalating violence. But the governor of Lagos, Babajide Sanwu-Olu, insists that there have been no deaths. For the swift recovery of the injured, we are comforted that we have not recorded any fatality as against the widespread circulation on social media. Nigerians living in South Africa have meanwhile added their voice to the calls for an end to police brutality in Nigeria. This follows reports that troops opened fire on a crowd of protesters on Tuesday, killing a number of them. Nigerian nationals handed over a memorandum to the High Commissioner in into South Africa in the capital, Pretoria. There has been a significant spike in new COVID-19 cases in South Africa's Western Cape province. That's according to Health Minister Zwilim Kize, who himself is under quarantine at home after contracting the virus. His wife also has also been discharged from hospital nationally. There has been a 9.1% spike in new coronavirus infections. This is only over the past week. Kangisile Magnoni has the details. There has been a resurgence of coronavirus in the Western Cape, with the province recording a 40 percent spike in new infections. Kizer says he's deeply concerned about the latest figures. He says they are awaiting further reports from the Western Cape Health's response teams who are now required to target the sub-districts with a high increase of new cases over the last two weeks. Kizer emphasized the need for all South Africans to observe their health protocols such as social distancing and hand washing. The warring parties in Libya have agreed to open land and air communication routes between the two halves of the country that they control. The BBC's Annan Johnston has the story. Libya is divided roughly in two. Much of the west is in the hands of the United Nations-backed government in Tripoli. The east is controlled by the forces of General Khalifa Haftar. There was fierce fighting between the two sides earlier this year. But there's now a stalemate and at talks in Geneva it's been agreed that road and air transport routes should be opened across the front lines. The UN envoy who's been hosting the negotiations says she's quite optimistic that they could lead to a lasting ceasefire. 
And finally, former U.S. President Barack Obama will make his first appearance on the campaign trail for Democratic nominee Joe Biden. The Democrat has locked in a tight race with President Donald Trump in crucial states just 13 days before the U.S. general election. Obama served eight years in office with Biden as his vice president. He will urge supporters to vote early for Biden and other Democratic candidates at an outdoor drive in rally in Philadelphia. Americans are voting early at a record pace this year to reduce exposure to the coronavirus. Nearly 40 million ballots have been cast ahead of Election Day on November the 3rd. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Now for a sports update with Musibudi Makura. Good evening, sports fans. Manchester United striker Odion Igalo has taken to social media to express his views on the current unrest in Nigeria. Speaking after United's 2-1 win over Paris Saint-Germain on Tuesday in the Champions League, the Nigerian striker was critical of his native country's government amid reports that people taking part in a protest against police brutality have been shot dead and injured in the country's capital city. Lagos. Now posting a video with the caption Prayer for Nigeria, Igalo implored the Nigerian government to reconsider their actions and also appealed to the United Kingdom government, amongst others, for help. I'm not the kind of guy that talks about politics, but I can't keep quiet anymore for what is going on back home in Nigeria. I would say Nigerian government, you guys are ashamed to the world for killing your own citizens, sending military to the streets to kill unarmed protesters because they are protesting for their rights is uncalled for. Today, 20th of October, 2020, you people will be remembered in the history as the first government that sent military to the city to start killing their own citizens. I am ashamed of this government. We are tired of you guys and we can't take this anymore. Botswana have confirmed their withdrawal from the 2020 Kosafa Women's Under-17 Championship to be hosted in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province from the 5th up until the 13th of November, citing an inability to secure the release of players from schools due to final year exams. It means the competition will be reduced to five teams and in turn provides a change in format into a single group where all teams will play each other in a round-robin format. The group now has the hosts South Africa, the Comoros Island, East African guest nation Tanzania, Zambia and Zimbabwe. Now the fixtures will be decided on Thursday where the draw will take place for the competition along with the draw for the senior Kosafa Women's Championship. And finally, Novak Djokovic has decided not to enter the Paris Masters because he has no points to win as he bids to retain the world number one spot come the end of the season. Djokovic clinched a record 36th ATP Masters crown when he won the Italian Open back in Rome last month, surpassing Rafael Nadal, who confirmed he would enter the Paris Masters. And the Zaya Sports News at the Sauer. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Starting off in the capital of Kenya, Nairobi, uh, where Nigerians living in Kenya held protests at the Nigerian High Commission offices condemning last night's shooting of protesters in Lagos and also demanding an end to police brutality. Waving placards and chanting anti-government slogans, the protesters accused the police of the special anti-robbery squad known as SARS of brutality, especially against youth. Human rights group Amnesty International, as well as some of the protesters, 
say that the, the security forces in Lagos had fatally shot protesters who were demonstrating against police brutality despite a new curfew going into effect. Authorities have denied and said investigations are underway to establish exactly what happened. This is what the marching Nigerians were saying during their protest in Nairobi, Kenya. The police has killed over thousands of youth in Nigeria, put them in shallow graves all over Nigeria. We are suffering. We want to end police brutality, number one. They have Nigeria must be restructured, both from the senators, House of Reps, executive authorities, all the government parasitas must come down, they must resign. We need a new Nigeria. We need a new Nigeria. We need a new Nigeria. Yes, we need a new Nigeria. rational and reasonable human being, neither will there be a rational or reasonable country that will accept what happened in Nigeria yesterday. So we are here to say no to police brutality. Yes. Yes. We are here to say no to extrajudicial killings. Yes. And we are here to say most of all that the life of Nigerians matter. Nigerians are not asking or demanding too much. Nothing. What they are demanding is the right to live. Yes. They cannot live in fear in their country. Yes. Nigerians want to live. Yes. And every Nigerian knows the potential of that country. Yes. We know that as Nigeria, that country is enough to carry us. Yes. Why will some people be living and some will not be living? And that report is coming from Nairobi in Kenya. Meanwhile, a number of people taking part in a protest against police brutality have reportedly been shot dead or wounded in Nigeria's biggest city, Lagos. This comes after the governor of the country's commercial hub imposed a statewide curfew and deployed riot police in response to growing protests. Tens of thousands of people have taken to the streets every day for nearly two weeks across Nigeria to demand an end to police violence as well as sweeping reforms in the country. For more on this, Channel Africa spoke to Osai Ojigo, director of human rights group Amnesty International Nigeria chapter, and she says what happened yesterday could have been prevented. What happened yesterday um, at Lekki Gate in Lagos um, was very preventable. Uh, people did not need to die. The protesters have been very organized and very respectful and peaceful. And it's just shocking that the government, in an attempt to um, push the protesters back, have had to resort to that kind of violence. What I think is important for everyone to understand is the security forces in Nigeria are used to using violence to enforce orders, even when it's not necessary. So in this case, you had unharmed youth protesters agreed a curfew had been declared at 4 p.m. But even at 4 p.m., you didn't ask people to leave. You you remained there. Um, There were news trickling down that the curfew in Lagos State will begin at 9 now, not 4, because if if you've been to Lagos. It's um, Nigeria's most populous city. There are about 20 million people living in Lagos. Moving around, the traffic is um, is, is well known. So perhaps they realized that 4 p.m. was too short notice. Okay, everybody be home by 9 p.m. But then the, the shocking part was no announcement was made, no directive given to uh, protesters to leave. And, and no one knew exactly why the soldiers were there. Were they there to enforce the curfew? Were they there? 
to protect the protesters until when um, night fell and they began to shoot. And we have eyewitness accounts. So Amnesty is relying on the eyewitness accounts that um, we received and people we've spoken to that were on the ground, as well as what was happening at that point in time at Lekki, the fact that lights were out, um, the fact that uh, people also having difficulties also communicating gave the impression that there were attempts by some interest to ensure that um, people, um, they can control the information. So that for us is very worrying. Do we know the extent of uh, the casualties at this point? Uh, Do we know how many people have uh, been killed and how many have been injured? We don't have the exact casualties. It's it's information that we're all scrambling urgently to confirm because it's one thing for people to say what they saw and you want to be careful that you're not um, double counting, that is counting the same numbers based on different people's accounts. You want to be sure that the numbers you have um, are, are verifiable. Uh, but but some, some clarity, um, we hope, would be achieved if the government takes up their responsibility to actually come up with the official figures um, and actually to, to, to also take responsibility for what happened. They shouldn't, it shouldn't have escalated to the violence we saw um, on the streets of Lagos, Kano, Jos, Abuja and elsewhere. In the country. The authorities have pledged to end police atrocities with President Buhari announcing that the special police unit SARS will be disbanded. Protesters are however skeptical about this because the past claims of reforming the unit seem to have Correct. turned out to be empty words. What needs to happen now in order for the protest to stop? What does President Buhari need to do to assuage protesters? Um, we call on President Buhari to personally come out. It could be a public address. It could be a televised address to say that he's personally going to ensure that police brutality becomes a thing of the past in Nigeria and that all the violations that have happened in the last um, two weeks and beyond, the complaints people have with regards to the SARS unit and the police in general that they are going to be attended to. And beyond that, to um, actually commiserate with those who have lost their loved ones. It's not easy to bring up a child in today's Nigeria and to receive news that he's been shot on the street because the police were uncomfortable, the, the military were uncomfortable with what the child had to say. And I think this is a very strong message that every life is important. It doesn't matter where you come from, which part of the country you come from. It doesn't matter whether you're young or you're old. Your input in the country's development is important and valued. And your life is important. And you do everything possible to protect that life. The world is watching the developments closely. In fact, Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, Amina Mohamed, who is also from Nigeria, says that the tension in Nigeria has been noticed and that the United Nations is stressing on the importance of respect for peaceful protest and also maximum restraint to be exercised by the security forces. What role can the United Nations play at this point? Is the call for restraint enough, do you think? The call for restraint is the first step, and 
we've actually been waiting for the um, United Nations, the African Union, to come out early on to say, Nigeria, we see what's happening in your country. Please respect the human rights of everyone. Ensure this comes to a logical and peaceful a peaceful result. But beyond that, it would be good for them to reach out to the Nigerian government, particularly the federal government, in order to see how um, to remind them of their obligations, but most importantly, to see how they can lean on the resources from these agencies. And that was Osai Ojigo, Director of Amnesty International in Nigeria, on the line from Abuja. She was talking to Kumbero Mujalele. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective on the coronavirus. Coronavirus is a disease that causes respiratory illness like the flu with symptoms such as a cough, fever, and in more severe cases, difficulty breathing. You can protect yourself by washing your hands frequently, avoiding touching your face, and avoiding close contact one meter or three feet with people who are unwell. If you suspect to have contracted COVID-19, contact the relevant health authorities in your area. Keep listening to Channel Africa. The African perspective will keep you updated on the latest on the coronavirus. Zimbabwe's second largest city, Bulawayo, is battling a diarrhea outbreak, the second one since the country went into lockdown to curb the COVID-19 pandemic. Last week, government said the cases of diarrhea in Bulawayo were under control. However, Dr. Edwin Sibanda, the city health director, says otherwise. The recent outbreak comes at a time when the Auditor General has tabled a report that speaks of local towns and cities failing to implement key service infrastructure, hence acute water shortages. More from our correspondent, Simon Muchemo, reporting from Harare, Zimbabwe. The area outbreak is not yet over in Mulawayo. The city health director, Dr. Edwin Sibanda, told Channel Africa on Tuesday after a report that 34 people had presented themselves with diarrhea to a clinic on Monday. Mulawayo has been battling with diarrhea outbreak as from the month of June owing to some water shortages and rationing. This city of kings, as it is affectionately known, has been having perennial water challenges dating back to the late 1980s. However, it is only this year that the city has started battling with recurring diarrhea diseases, killing dozens of citizens. It is not clear how many people could have been affected so far, and authorities are concerned. Unfortunately, I do not have the exact figures uh, as to how many have been affected so far, but I can only tell you that as of yesterday, we have, I only have daily figures, which I get at the end of every day, and yesterday's figures were 34 people presented at the clinic having been affected by diarrhea. Yes, I would say it's ongoing, because 34 is still way too high. Even, even for a week, to have 34 is too high. But uh, having all of them presenting in one day, the sign that something is still not right. The outbreak comes at a time when the Auditor General tabled a report in Parliament a few weeks ago, alleging that at least six local authorities, including Bulawayo, failed to fix sources of water problems. While Bulawayo has always had problems owing to the fact that the city does not have large water reservoirs like Harare, challenges with the reticulation can be blamed for the mess. The city authorities 
totally ignored recommendations in the 2018 audit report, hence the constant water supply interruptions. Dr. Sibanda refused to comment on the parliament report but shed more light on how the second wave struck. We, we don't know the exact microbial agent, but we think people started accessing water other than tap water because the self-referred to has, uh, since the water shedding problem began, it has been spared from water shedding. So the people there in Makokoba, Mzriga, Town Grove, as well as Papa Fields, they collect or they get their water through a pipeline that feeds in Pillow Hospital. And that pipeline, is a result, because of supplying a major hospital, has been spared from water shedding. But there was a disruption in the water supply about uh, close to a week. So we got the diarrhea outbreak after that water supply interruption. The water situation in Bulawayo and many other small towns in Zimbabwe is so critical and requires government attention. Owing to corruption, millions of dollars were looted when the Zambezi water project was set up to draw water from Zambezi to Bulawayo. Individuals responsible were named but no arrests were made by the then president Robert Mugabe administration. However, the current diarrhea outbreak have been made worse by the fact that the country is in a COVID-19 lockdown, hence access to medical treatment is restricted, Dr. Sibanda hinted. We must all appreciate that uh, once you have got COVID-19 and the restrictions that apply or go with COVID-19 outbreak, some of the services that people may want to, to access may not be available at the times that they would want to get those services. For instance, pharmacies will close earlier than before when they used to go almost 24 hours or at least 10 o'clock, at the latest 10 o'clock at night. Uh, So people may not access the services as they would have wished. But uh, there is also the element of movement. We don't have as much transport as people would require or desire. So that does affect uh, people's access to services. If they want to access a, a clinic or get to a clinic or a healthcare center, they may not. They may find it a little more difficult. In Harare, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it. Don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think we should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. 
South Africa's civic organizations under the banner the Budget Justice Coalition have today tabled what they call Imali Asizwe, our nation's money, an alternative people's budget based on human rights. The coalition says it anticipates the, that the medium-term budget uh, policy statement due to be tabled by the finance minister, Titombowene, on the 28th of October 2020 will accelerate the austerity of recent years by cutting funding to health, education, social development, local government and housing and critical institutions uh, such as SARS, StatsSA and the NPA in a misguided attempt to stabilize public debt. To discuss this further, we have on the line Busi Sibeko from the Budget Justice Coalition. Welcome to Africa Digest, Busi. Thank you for having me here. Now, could you tell us more about the alternative budget outlined by the coalition today? Yes, of course. Um, so, Imaliya Sizwe is an alternative human rights budget, which shows how we should center human rights um, in our fiscal policy and macroeconomic policy more generally. But in this particular document, we focus on how we can make change expenditure and revenue in a way that advances in the realization of human rights in South Africa, but also leads to growth in our economy as well. And why the alternative budget? Yeah, so we, we proposed this because for a number of years we've been monitoring expenditure by the National Treasury and have um, noticed trends that are, you know, regressive towards human rights. And I'll give you an example. In terms of health, um, the health expenditure has increased slightly above population growth. Um, and therefore, we consider how medical price inflation is higher than normal inflation, which means that our increases in that budget expenditure are actually decreasing per person spent. So the absolute number is increasing, but actually when we look at how much is being spent per person, it's actually declining over time. So these are sorts of the trends that we're seeing over time, which are regressive towards human rights in South Africa, given the huge inequalities. So this is not just this one sector, and I'm giving an example here, but to say that we've witnessed these trends across various sectors. And so with austerity, and that's what austerity means, it means cutting expenditure to deal with debt issues. Um, and that's what the government has been implementing, really, to say that they've been cutting expenditure to address debt. And so debt servicing costs have been the largest or fastest growing expenditure on our budget. Um, and even though our total budget is increasing, when you look at it in terms of absolute numbers, what's happening is that, you know, debt servicing costs are growing faster than any other spend that's happening. And so we felt that it was critical that we recenter human rights again, because human rights are not a luxury for when the economy is growing, but human rights should always be prioritized, especially in crisis times. Now, is the coalition simply saying it does not support the budget to be tabled by the finance minister next week, or is, is, is there a conversation that is happening here? Absolutely. I think for many, um, for many budgets, in fact, we've said that austerity is not the appropriate way to go. And the reason why we've said this is because we've looked at the international evidence that has shown that austerity regresses human rights, but also it's not economically viable. And by that, I mean it um, decreases economic growth. It leads to higher debt-to-GDP rates. Um, it leads to higher unemployment and so forth. And so we've said this is not the appropriate fiscal policy that is needed, particularly in South Africa. You consolidate a budget, meaning you cut a budget when you are growing, 
right? Um, because when you're growing, then the ramifications aren't large like we're going to experience now because ultimately um, your expenditure is your income when it comes to the national budget. So we've, we've really been advocating to say, please stop the austerity because, you know, in the international events we look at, um, we know, for instance, that women and marginalized communities and those who are traditionally excluded um, through structural inequalities are the ones who bear the burdens um, of austerity. So we've, we've always said that austerity is bad and detrimental to human rights realization in our country. All right. And Busi, lastly, what in your view should the finance minister prioritize when he tables the medium-term budget policy statement? I mean, we must protect rights at all costs. You know, it's really, for me, always a question about what is the cost of not doing what we need to do right now? And so one of the examples that come to mind is the extension of the cake grants as well as the other grant increases. You know, people, we know that majority of South Africans are going hungry. We know that majority of South Africans are in crisis. And in fact, we should have extended those grants. And it's great um, that the unemployment grant was extended, but we really needed an extension of all these other grants, given that 2.2 million jobs have been, you know, shed in our economy. Um, And we're in a particular crisis that needs a greater response in terms of social protection. Um, We also know that the 500 billion hasn't been spent, like, you know, in its full capacity, um, which means that, you know, we probably haven't been able to save our economy the current moment you know so and that has long-term impact um so what you know what i would say is one the immediate response for me would be to extend the grants um and make and and increase them because all the 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 child grants and the unemployment grants sit below the food poverty line so those are critical to be increased all right we'll see thank you very much for joining us thank you and that was Busi Sibeko from the South African Budget Justice Coalition. Thanks for joining us. The time is now 17.30 Central African time. It's time for us to cross on over to the news desk for another quick update with regards to your news headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samara. Making headlines. Nigerians living in South Africa have added their voice to calls for an end to police brutality in Nigeria. This follows reports that troops opened fire on a crowd of protesters on Tuesday, killing a number of them. There has been a significant spike in new COVID-19 cases in the South, in South Africa's Western Cape province. That's according to Health Minister William Kize. And finally, former U.S. President Barack Obama will make his first appearance on the campaign trail for Democratic nominee Joe Biden. For Channel Africa... I'm Jonani Tulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Womanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Womanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time 
and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African time. Humanity, Women in Unity with Dr. Amalea Gones Malka. Every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements. The voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. In an effort to aid parents in checking their children's growth, the global healthcare company Novo Nordisk recently launched an app for growth monitoring called the Growth Journey app. The innovation comes as organizations around the world recently united in the commemoration of the International Children's Growth Awareness Day to inform parents about the importance of annual and regular growth checks for their children. To discuss this further, we're joined on the line by Professor Kibashni Tandrian, a pediatric endocrinologist at the Department of Pediatrics at South Africa's Chris Hari Baragwanath Academic Hospital. Doctor, thank you very much for joining us. Good afternoon, Samara. Thank you for having me speak to you. Now, Doctor, how significant is the growth of a child when it comes to their health and irregular growth? Growth is an essential part of a child's assessment. So when we initially see a child as a pediatrician, we always measure the growth parameters, which is the weight and the height of the child. And that gives us an indication if the child is actually suffering from a, an acute condition, so something that's happening now immediately in the past few weeks. And it also tells us whether the, the patient is suffering from a chronic condition that is over a longer period of time or even from birth. So it's very important to measure your child's weight and height on a regular basis. And what gets compromised in the child's growth when they don't receive the crucial services they need during the most important period of their development? So essentially, their entire health or well-being gets compromised. So if you're not measuring your child's weight and height, and you're not assessing them properly, you will miss conditions that are essential for their growth. And if you don't treat these underlying conditions, then basically you will have a child that is either stunted or poorly uh, growing in terms of their height and weight even. And eventually the child will be short-statured. And as an adult, the child would not be tall and suffer from not only the medical underlying condition, but also the psychological and emotional aspect of being short. And how is growth measured? And please enlighten us about how a possible growth hormone deficiency uh, is treated. Okay, so what we do is we measure the height using special stadiometers and infantometers, we call them, so, or length boards. So basically, um, it has to be done properly. Uh, you have to be properly trained as well. So you would remove the child's shoes, make them stand against the stadiometer and measure their height. And if it's the child less than two years, you would measure them on a measuring board. And obviously, the scales that we do to measure weights also have to be calibrated. And if we do find that there's a problem, so as I said, we don't only rely on one measurement, we rely on regular measurements. So over a period of time, if we see that the child is not growing appropriately for their age, we would then assess them further and obviously look for growth hormone deficiency as one of the causes in a short-statured child. 
So growth hormone deficiency is a deficiency of growth hormone secretion from the pituitary gland in the brain. And many things can affect our pituitary gland. It can be underdeveloped or it can be damaged from many causes. So once we've identified that the child has growth hormone deficiency, which can be an isolated problem on its own or with other hormonal abnormalities, where the pituitary is not secreting, for example, thyroid hormone, then we need to obviously look further and treat the child appropriately with growth hormone therapy, if that may be the case. All right. And uh, give us more details about what this Growth Journey app is and how it works. So the Growth Journey app is uh, a digital solution that has been developed to help parents screen their children basically and make them more aware of monitoring their child's growth. So what it would do is actually uh, it's a camera-based height measurement or if you have the height of the child that is properly measured, it also, uh, the app uh, aids you in how to do the measurements properly as well. So once you have the child's height and you put it onto the app, it will then tell you whether the child is growing appropriately or not. And thereafter, it will give you, um, it will actually tell you that you need to seek medical advice further. All right. And how do parents get access to the app and how much will it cost them? It's actually free to download. So you can download it from Google Play on your Android or your Apple phone. And yeah, it's quite easy, easy to use. All right. And uh, lastly... Um, what advice do you have for parents whose children are not growing as they should? So I think the parents must obviously be vigilant, look at their child's uh, growth, compare their child to their peers or children of similar age in their class and also to siblings in the family and see if their child is obviously shorter than the other children. So if this is the case, they can go ahead, use the screening tool, the Growth Journey app, and it will advise you to obviously to seek further medical advice. If uh, also they, they feel they don't, well, if they do definitely feel that there is a problem, they should definitely see a general practitioner or pediatrician for a proper assessment of their child. And as I said, the growth will be measured and the, the uh, child would be appropriately assessed. And obviously, we have to exclude a, a medical condition that is causing the child to grow poorly and once that is done they would look for for more for for further more um, conditions that may result in the child growing poorly so i think please to parents measure your children or take the time out to look at your child's growth and obviously uh, seek medical advice and uh, don't ignore a, a child being short as being something that they will catch up with growth, but it might be an uh, uh, urgent medical condition that needs to be attended to. All right, uh, Doctor, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, thank you. And that was Professor Kibashni Tandrian, a pediatric endocrinologist at the Department of Pediatrics at South Africa's Chris Hani Baragwanath Academic Hospital. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective 
on the coronavirus. Coronavirus is a disease that causes respiratory illness like the flu with symptoms such as a cough, fever, and in more severe cases, difficulty breathing. You can protect yourself by washing your hands frequently, avoiding touching your face, and avoiding close contact one meter or three feet with people who are unwell. If you suspect to have contracted COVID-19, contact the relevant health authorities in your area. Keep listening to Channel Africa. The African Perspective will keep you updated on the latest on the coronavirus. Cameroon says there are more than 120,000 illegal firearms in the Central African state, fueling a separatist conflict as well as the Boko Haram terrorist group. In Yaoundé this week, Cameroonian and African Union officials marked a delayed commemoration of Africa Amnesty Month, urging illegal holders of weapons to hand them over and be pardoned. African Union experts say more than 40 million illegal firearms are circulating in Africa. Moki Kinzeka reports on the challenge from Yaoundé. 29-year-old Martin Anya, a former separatist fighter, was held Monday as a success story as he went before African delegates with Africa Amnesty Month. While Africa Amnesty Month is September, this year's event took place one month late because of the coronavirus pandemic. Anya says he has peace of mind and is confident he will land a profitable job since he surrendered his weapons in January. Anya says he was retained at Cameroon's Disarmament, Demobilization and Reintegration Center in the town of Bamenda. We have the basics of computer studies. We, we are learning how to rear animals. We also have certain activities and other classes that we attend, like civic education, basic education classes for those that are from the bushes and cannot read and write. Actually, we have better place here in DDRO than while we're in the bushes. Anya is among 400 separatist fighters and Boko Haram terrorists whom Cameroon says have surrendered, handed over their weapons and been pardoned. At least you are able to manipulate the computer and uh, so many other things. I think it can even help you in future. Being here in GGR, it has really helped us because at least we have hope that we'll live here will not be the same. We call most of our friends that they are in the bush to come here. The Central African state says at least 5,000 other fighters are in the bush carrying illegal weapons. Ngalim Eugene, Cameroon's representative at the African Union Economic, Social and Cultural Council, says at least 120,000 illegal weapons are currently in circulation in Cameroon, up from just 25,000 in 2013. Those who carry those weapons don't carry it to better the development of a country, but most often it's destroying what has been built. And you know the consequences of destroying. This could take so many years to build what was built maybe uh, just in a few years. Carrying small arms, like is the case now in the Northwest, in the Southwest, and in extreme North, is not really good. In 2016, there's a law that Cameroon adopted uh, on arms and ammunition. And this law makes provisions on how to acquire arms, but it also spell out sanctions on those who are having the arms illegally. Cameroon says more than 120,000 illegal firearms are in the country, fueling a separatist conflict as well as the Boko Haram terrorist group. Ivor Richard Fung, 
Deputy Chief of the Conventional Arms Branch of the UN Office for Disarmament Affairs says the UN supports the Silencing the Guns Project, which was initiated by African civil society organizations in 2017. He says conflicts in Africa, especially Central African states, may worsen if those carrying weapons illegally do not surrender their arms. Weapons proliferate in Central Africa, in Cameroon, and it's evidenced by the high levels of crime, armed violence, and of course the conflict that are uh, taking place uh, in many parts of uh, this sub-region and Africa in general. So without the illicit flows of weapons, the intensity of the conflict will not be what we see today. General Badreddin El Amin Mohammed is executive secretary of the regional center on small arms in the great lakes region the horn of africa and bordering states the general says 40 million arms and light weapons are circulating illegally in africa and that the most fragile countries are the car drc and somalia he says the situation in central africa is becoming worse due to Boko Haram terrorism, the separatist conflicts in Cameroon, and years of chaos in the Central African Republic. The first threat to the continental security or individual country security is small arms proliferation. Arms proliferation is due to the no development problem of daily life. Arms proliferation is due to bad governance. There is a lot of leakage in our management or control of small arms from the state arms itself. Our uh, borders are very porous and difficult to control. The AU established the Africa Amnesty Month initiative in 2017 to encourage people to surrender illegal weapons and create conditions for development in the poorest countries. This year, Seven African countries have experimented with the initiative. The AU is suggesting that it should be extended for three years as the majority of illegal arms carriers who are civilians are still reluctant to hand over their weapons due to ignorance or fear. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundi, Cameroon. Some parts of Zambia have been hit with a fuel shortage crisis. The energy regulator claims the shortage has been caused by a strike staged by truck drivers. But there is a contrast to the claim by the regulator. Some parts of the country have had no fuel for over 10 days now. More from our correspondent Arthur Davis Sukopo in Zambia. Some truck drivers in Zambia, especially those in the northern hemisphere, on Monday staged a strike demanding better working conditions. The strike had been planned since September 2020, and on 30th September 2020, Labor Minister Joyce Nondesimukoko warned that they should not go ahead with the planned 19th October 2020 strike, describing it as illegal. Calling themselves professional drivers, they have been sending text messages and audio messages to all truck drivers and transporters to stage a countrywide strike over pleas that government does not want to listen to them in the formulation of transport sector minimum wage and conditions of service laws. 
In this video confrontation, some truck drivers are seen pouring water on a fellow truck driver who they found on the road driving. According to them, he disobeyed the secular that all truck drivers should down tools. In another video, a truck driver is made to squat on the tarmac, pleading that they should not harm him and that he was going to park and comply with the strike. And eventually, he did park on the side of the road. On Monday, it had to force Transport Minister Mutoto Kafuaya, accompanied by the Road Transport and Safety Agency Chief and State Security, to tour major cities on the Copper Belt, that includes Chengola, Kalulushi, Kitwe and Indola with a view to get back on the road all those that complied and parked their trucks in the controversial strike. Both local and international trucks were not allowed to be on the road on this material day by those behind the strike. As confirmed in an operation by Transport Minister, four trucks belonging to a South African company were found parked and it had to take the minister to call the owner in South Africa to give directives that they should be on the road. From Brussels, in, in the SA, you are also talking to Kafoya, I'm the Minister of Transport here in Zambia. Can you tell your guys to start off now? We are on the ground, we don't want trucks to park, let them start moving. Those who did that crime, we are following them and we will get them apprehended. This is, this is a country of laws, there's no strike here. Some truck drivers that park their trucks along the road, on the copper belt, have however been arrested by police. Transport Minister Mutoto Kafoya has since accused opposition political parties in the country of sponsoring the strike with a view to sabotage the economy. For those uh, political leaders who may be behind uh, this economic sabotage, you cannot incite uh, economic sabotage for you to gain support from the Zambian people. You know, using uh, innocent drivers. This is a sponsored, a sponsored activity. This journalist attempted to get comments from the drivers that were spearheading this cause, but they refused to be on record, though they remained resolute that they are demanding what is rightfully theirs. I talked to Yusuf Dodia, an economic analyst, who says the strike by the truck drivers has a potential to cause damage to the economic front of the country. My hope is that the government can uh, and make sure that the unions that represent truck drivers come to a meeting with the employers so that uh, some amicable solution can be arrived at. Uh, it's all about dialogue and what I think is worth uh, noting is that we should not allow it to escalate into a confrontation because that is what leads to the kind of situation we find ourselves in where there's a standoff. The strike has now seemingly been stopped and the number are now back on the road. Arthur Debsuskopo reporting for Channel Africa in Lusaka, Zambia. And now it's time for your latest economics news. Here's Nositle Zuma.
Thank you, Samora. Good evening. The Group Executive for News and Current Affairs at the South African Broadcasting Corporation, SABC, Pati Samagobeni, says the looming retrenchments at the public broadcaster cannot be avoided as the wage bill has to be reduced. This week, 13 employees who are believed to have been irregularly appointed were dismissed. The public broadcaster says they were appointed without following proper processes when former Chief Operating Officer Claudi Mutuning was at the helm of the organization. The SABC is currently at loggerheads with workers' representatives over its plans to retrench around 600 permanent staff. Magobeni was speaking on SAFM earlier today. It's a very difficult process, particularly for the newsroom that still has to report on the same process. Mm. This process it comes from the commitments that were made when the issue um, of the bailout was dealt with. So these are commitments that we made that we will reduce the wage bill and there were other conditions that were part of that process. Um, so, and this was meant to address the issue around us all having to go back and ask for another handout at some point. Executive Finance Manager at Transnet, South Africa's freight rail, Yusuf Leha, has denied that he was responsible for approving a 30 to 60 percent advance payment for the 100 locomotive tender even before a single locomotive had been delivered. Leha blames former Transnet Chief Officer Anuj Singh, who he says was responsible for payment decisions at Transnet. Earlier testimonies have revealed that the advance payments prejudiced Transnet. It it was also revealed that Transnet unjustifiably paid an excess 60 million US dollars for the 2012 locomotives tender. Deha was testifying before the state capture inquiry in Johannesburg. Mr. Singh said they were affordable and that Transnet had the funding to afford those advance payments, firstly. And secondly, the advance payments were agreed to as part of the package deal, if I can call it, by the steering committee. So when Mr. Singh told us that the steering committee accepted the price of 44 million. They accepted, he also said they accepted the price of 44 million with the advance payments that go with it. Budget Justice Coalition of South Africa has called for a national budget which is centered around human rights. The coalition, consisting of various civic organizations, aims to build people's understanding and participation in the planning of government's budgeting process. Finance Minister Ti Tomboweni is expected to deliver his medium-term budget policy statement in Parliament at the end of this month. During a virtual press conference, the coalition's Busisibeko explained why it was important for human rights to be at the center of the budget. Challenging the current status quo of inequality, poverty, unemployment, and violence um, requires expansionary fiscal policies, ones that are human rights based, ones that are environmentally progressive, and requires policy that is gender transformative. Realizing human rights should not be considered a byproduct of economic growth. In fact, it should be center to economic growth. This, of course, needs to take into account state capacity, corruption, um, and so forth. Anglo-American South African Division is being sued over allegations of negligence at a lead mine its part owned in Zambia nearly 50 years ago. South African law firm Mbui Semuele and UK-based Lee Day said they filed the suit on behalf of a class estimated to comprise more than 100,000 individuals thought to have been poisoned by lead from the mine in Zambia's Skabe 
district. In a statement, the two law firms said the application is brought by 13 representatives plaintiffs on behalf of children under 18 and girls who women who have been or may become pregnant in the future. Anglo-American said it would review the claims and take all the necessary steps to vigorously defend its position. And Libya's oil sector shattered by unrest since the toppling of longtime leader Muammar Gaddafi in 2011 is back on the rise. The easing of a blockade by Eastern forces, which had cut output by more than 90% to around 100,000 barrels per day, which is PBD, has seen production recover to about 500,000 PBD. The government in Tripoli expects that to double by year end, but after years of repeated shutdowns, damage to infrastructure and lack of investment, a return to the country's pre-civil war capacity of 1.6 million PPD appears some way off. And for your financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 381.49 Nigerian Nara, 11.30 Botswana Bula, 107.85 Kenyan Shilling and 2018 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar is trading at 5.59 Brazilian Drill, 77.58 Russian Drill, 73.31 Indian Rupee, 6.67 Chinese Yuan and at 16.41 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, go- Gold is trading at $1,918 and platinum at $872 per ounce. And Brent crude oil is at $42.29 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Nusi Zuma. This is Africa Digest. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. Be sure to join us again from 1900 hours Central African time for more news from an African perspective. Right now, though, here is Jigijela by Sepo Mabuse. We'll see you later. Oh, my God.
program ino ya zoshitika mu Africa pa chinyanja service ya Channel Africa.